0: Matthew, thank you very much for the very kind uh, welcome and indeed the invitation to be here at a young people's rally. I don't know why you have an 80-year-old or 85-year-old man in the pulpit speaking to all you young people, but it really is a joy to be here this evening. As a matter of fact, speaking of your uh, Castlewell weekend, it was way back in 1975 that we found it that weekend with Alan Kearns, and, uh, and it's still going. Praise the Lord for that. Well, it's a joy for me to be here this evening, and I bring what we call a Brazilian hug. A Brazilian hug, we've lived in Brazil, I'm in touch with Brazil every day, but when we greet each other in Brazil, we do it with what we call an abraço, An abraço is a good, tight hug. I brought a fellow over here one time, a Brazilian, and everybody I introduced him to, he just rubbed his arms around him and gave him a very tight hug. In Brazil, when you write a letter, you put at the end of the letter, eu te mando um ma abraço que quebra costelas. That is, I'd send you such a hug as would break your ribs. And uh, that's how that fellow went around it. But one day, he met a very sedate gentleman, and the sedate gentleman said to him, excuse me, but here in our country, we don't hug each other, we shake hands. So my Brazilian friend just looked at him and shook his hands and said, hello, how are you? So. I give you greetings here this evening. It really is a joy to be with you. Our Bible reading this evening is Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. And we'll read it verse 1. "'Thy therefore, my Son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses,' the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully the husbandman that laboreth must first uh, partake of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. I'm jumping down to verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. May God bless to us the reading of his sacred word. Many years ago, I was in the south of Ireland. Before I ever went to Bible college, this would be about 50, 1958. Uh, we were working in the south of Ireland and uh, at a place called Drewsdon House in County Navin for the World Mission to Children. It was a, a large house and had a number of compartments in it. And various missionaries lived in, as a matter of fact, Harry's uncle was there at that time, but Stanley Mawinney, who was with the European Missionary Fellowship, him and his wife and newborn baby, they were there. At that particular time, Stanley was invited to go on a tour of England and Scotland doing deputation meetings with the director of the mission, Omri Jenkins. Because the baby was just born, and back in those days we didn't have mobile phones, as a matter of fact, very few people had any sort of phones. Uh, But Stanley said to his wife, Jean, we're going to be away for three or four weeks. Would you write to me every day and tell me about Stephen, the baby, how he is? She said, every day? Yeah, please, write me a note every day and tell me what's happening. But she said, you're moving about, how am I going to get the letters to you? Well, he said, after two weeks, we're going to be in Fort William, and I'll give you an address in Fort William where we're staying, and you send all the letters there, and when I get to Fort William, I'll, I'll really enjoy the letters. So Jean uh, agreed to do that, and off Stanley went for the deputation tour, meetings in England, up the east coast of Scotland, and then finally over to Fort William on the west side of Scotland. When he got there, Omri Jenkins and the man of the house knew each other and immediately they were in the conversation and Stanley on the wings, anxious to get his letters. Finally, there was a break in the conversation and Stanley interrupted and said, Excuse me, sir, do you have any letters for me? And the man said, Letters? No, I don't have any letters for you. Stanley's heart sort of sunk at that and he said, Are you sure you don't have letters? I asked my wife, to write to me every day and send the letters to you. Are you sure you don't have them?" The man said, what, what is your name? He said, Stanley Mawinney. Oh, said the man, so you are Stanley Mowinney? He said, I kept getting these letters every day for Stanley Mawinney, and I didn't know who he was. Stanley said, that's me, could I have my letters? The man said, I'm afraid I burned them. But he says, your wife and baby are well. He'd not only burned them, he'd, he'd read all of the letters. Now, I say that to you this evening because when we come to these letters of the Apostle Paul, let's remember that although it may be bad, uh, bad manners to read other people's mail, that's exactly what you're doing when you read First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. These are Paul's letters to individuals, what we call the pastoral letters. In this letter, uh, 2 Timothy, it is Paul's last letter. He is a prisoner in Rome. He has been before Nero, standing there in rags, being dragged from the dungeon. And Nero's on the throne, dressed in all the regalia of the the emperor that he was. And yet, the meanest man in the Roman Empire was the man who sat on the throne. Nero, Nero had killed his wife and murdered his mother-in-law and was guilty of every sin that could be committed in the Roman Empire. Before him alone, the apostle Paul dragged in rags, and he was a prisoner. His hair now bleached white because of years of experience, yet he was God's man. Someone has said, the day will come when people will call their dogs Nero, and they'll call their sons Paul. I say this was Paul's last letter. And he is writing to his young son in the faith, almost like a master writing to his pupil. Someone has said, every Timothy needs a Paul, and every Paul needs a Timothy. And in the second chapter that we have read from this evening, there is a sense of that, that bond that was between them. As a matter of fact, if a closer study was given to the chapter, you would find that there's a sort of montage of all the different aspects of the Christian life. For example, in verse 1, he reminds them that he is a son. Thou, therefore, my son. What is a Christian? A Christian is a son in the family of God. Behold what manner of love God has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Thank God for that. But he's not only a son in the family. If you read on, it reminds us, Thou, therefore, endured hardness as a good soldier as a Christian, you're not only a son in the family, you are a soldier in the fight, and that involves enduring hardness. As a matter of fact, it gives that sense of allegiance. No man that warrants entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he might please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. My friend, you are a, you are a son in the greatest family there is, the family of God, But God has enlisted you, chosen you, to be a soldier. I'm not going to speak on all of these, as you'll be glad, but if you go to the next verse, it reminds us that if a man strives for masteries, here he is a sprinter, a sportsman. He, my friend, is in a race, and he's got the finish line in focus, reminding us of the word of Hebrews. Let us therefore run the race looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down on the right hand of God Almighty. The next verse reminds us that the Christian is a sower, a husbandman, a farmer. The husbandman, the farmer that liveth, must first be partakers of the fruit. The Bible reminds us in Matthew 13, "'Behold, the sower went forth to sow.'" And my friend, can I say that we have got the good seed of the incorruptible Word of God, and we've got to be sowing that seed. "'He that goes forth, weepeth, bearing precious seed, "'shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, "'bringing his sheaves with him.'" However, the verse I want to look at this evening and the sort of montage picture of the Christian is in verse 15, "'Study study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth.'" Paul was imparting to Timothy some of not only the teaching, but the passion that drove the apostle Paul. When we read these words, study to show thyself approved, it has nothing to do with academics. It's not to do with a desk or books in the sense of study. Perhaps a better translation is the word strive. It is more to do with an attitude. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, said, yea, so do I strive to preach the gospel. There is that sense of passion in his appeal to Timothy. Strive, says the Apostle Paul, Strive for what? To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That word strive, I say, carries a lot of weight. And a number of years ago I wrote a book about Amy Carmichael. It's called Amy and her tin top her Amy and her uh, tin tabernacle. It's the welcome hall in Canberra Street in Belfast. Amy Carmichael was born in Millisle. Uh, Her father owned the mill from which you get the name, Mill Isle, the mill that was on the island, Millisle. Her father owned the the mill. But she was sent to Harrogate in London for education. And it was there at the SISM meetings that she trusted Jesus Christ the Savior when she was 16 years of age, 16. When she came back to Belfast and saw the needs of the poor people of Belfast, this would be at the end of the 19th century, she was moved with compassion and decided she wanted to do something. The family by this time had moved from Malisle to College Gardens, just where Methodist College is now, and they would attend a church in the center of the city. But when she saw the poor people, she felt she needed to do something for them. She wrote a little limerick that says, "'Oh, for a passionate passion for souls. "'Oh, for a heart that burns. "'Oh, for a heart that yearns after God. "'Oh, for that fire that burns.'" That was Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael felt that passion so much that from College Garden, she went to the west end of Belfast to the poor people. And there she began to gather young ladies in until in her Bible class, She had five hundred young ladies. In those days, the young ladies were called shawlies. They weren't able to go to the the shops and buy fancy dress. They they used shawls simply because they didn't have fancy clothes. And so they called it the shawlies meeting. Five hundred young women learning the scriptures, but it wasn't pleasing to the fashionable people of Belfast, and they were asked to leave. So Amy bought the, she got a, a gift of 500 pound and bought a piece of land in Canberra Street. And with the money, she put up what was known as a welcome hall It was made of corrugated iron. Above the hall, she wrote these words, "'Come, everyone, and come just as you are.'" She built that hall when she was 19 years of age, and at 21 years of age, she left these shores and went to India and never returned again. Why? because she had a passion, a drive in her heart. This church, many years ago, Emma Munn was a member of this church. Emma was one of ten in the family. During the war, two of her brothers were killed, and Mrs. Munn, the mother, said, "'I give two of my sons to King George, "'but I give the rest of my family to King Jesus.'" And out of the 10 of the family, seven of them became involved in the Lord's work. Jessie, or rather, Emma Munn, the, the oldest sister, member of this church, she went to Guinea in Africa and spent years serving the Lord. Her sister, Janet, went to Liberia, as did her brother, Robert. Her sister, Jessie, went to the Cape Verde Islands. Her sister, Lottie, also went to the Cape Verde Islands. And uh, Sandra and Annie stayed behind and opened the shop in York Street to support the rest of the family. And why did they do it? Simply because they had a passion. I say that this evening, my friend, because, young friend, because passion is spelt out in enthusiasm, endeavor. And if you read this verse, you will find that there are three things about which we should have a passion. Let's look at the verse again. Study, though show thyself approved unto God. As Christians, my friend, we should have a passion for the will of God, that which is approved of God. When we say the Lord's Prayer, we pray that prayer and say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The same Apostle Paul, who wrote to Timothy, also wrote to the Romans. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is the good, the perfect, and the acceptable will of God. And my friend, as a young person here, speaking to many who are still in the tender years of life, those formative years, Can I say that the greatest adventure you can ever have in life is proving the will of God? Proving the will of God is a matter, my friend, of giving up your own will. It is what we call surrender. I've worked with many missionaries over the years and I've been beside them when they've sacrificed themselves and given their lives for Christ. As recently, Dr. Bill Wood's, They were not only saved, but they were absolutely surrendered to the Lord. When the apostle Paul was converted, Ananias in Damascus was sent to lay hands on Paul. Ananias was hesitant, and the Lord said to him, he said, Fear not, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. He will bear my name before kings, and he will suffer many things for my name's sake. We sometimes say that we are saved to serve. Of the apostle Paul, has got to be said he was saved to suffer many things. But Paul did not hesitate of surrendering to the will of God. I go up to Jerusalem, and if they take my life, says the apostle Paul, the will of God be done. My friend, I ask of you this evening as a Christian, have you surrendered your will, your body to him? The Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 21, he says, No, you're not, That you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. My friend, I say to you this evening, the greatest adventure of life, the greatest aim that you can have in life is a passion to do the will of God. This came to me as a, a young fellow of 17, 18 years of age. It was a July day, and uh, a, number, a number of us got together. Some nurses from England came over, and I guess about nine or ten of us headed up the, the Antrim coast. July day, the beauty of the Antrim coast, over Tor Head, and two carloads of young people, nine or ten of us. And then when we got to Port Rush, Um, Well, it must have been crazy. We all went in for a swim in the blue pool. When the tide is in, the blue pool is the natural formation of rocks uh, there at Port Rush, And when the tide is in, uh, the pool is quite quite deep. I think they call it the blue pool because that's the color you turn when you get into the Atlantic Ocean up there, but uh, so it was. We were all diving, swimming, but amongst us there was a Jamaican girl. And she couldn't swim. She got into the water. She didn't go blue. She went grey, and um, she sat at the side of the pool. And one of the girls said to me, "Victor, would you not take Dorothy across the, the pool?" Well, I have, uh, I had a problem there, and I still have it. Sometimes I find it difficult to say no. I was able to swim for myself and do all of it. but I'd never taken anybody across the pool. I'd watch others do it, and so I decided I'd take Dorothy across the pool and. I got her on her back, and I got under, uh, my hand under her arms, and then started to swim uh, backwards. The only thing is, when we got in the middle of the pool, Dorothy panicked and swung around and grabbed me by the throat, and we went under. When we went under, there were yells and cries and some jumping into the water. And when we come up, someone grabbed Dorothy and pulled her away from me, but I went down the second time. I went down the second time. I felt my life was over. I come up again and went down the third time. By this time, a crowd had gathered at the, the side of the, the pool. And when I come up again, someone threw a life belt. I was quite a distance from the shore. They threw a life belt out. And, and then someone came under me and pushed me up onto the life belt and onto the rocks far from the shore. I say at eighteen years of age I thought my life was was over at that time. And somehow or other with that life belt they towed me to shore and there was a, a doctor on hand, Doctor Love, who belonged to the what was the Victoria Hall, the Crescent Fellowship, the Brethren Fellowship. He was there and I remember him putting me on the ground and started to pump my chest and spouting out of me, I think it must have been half of the Atlantic Ocean came out of me as, as he pumped the water from my lungs and very soon, the blue bell was there and rushed me off to Colerain Hospital. I was in Colerain Hospital for a number of days, but on that hospital bed, I said to myself, Victor, your life was almost over. And on that hospital bed, and before this open Bible, my friend, I tell you tonight, God challenged me. And on that hospital bed, I surrendered my life, my will. Lord, anything, anywhere, at any price i will follow you." What about it in your life? Strive, how does it say, to show yourself approved unto God? This was a case in the life of our Savior. You remember that in the Jordan, when he was baptized, The Bible tells us that the heavens opened and the voice of the Father was heard, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Again, the Bible reminds us on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter would have built three tabernacles, one for Moses and Elijah and one for the Savior, the voice of the Father was heard out of the clouds saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Again, in John chapter 12, when the Lord Jesus said, The hour has come when the Son of Man must be glorified. This spake he of his death. I think if we'd written those words, we would say, The hour has come when the Son of Man should be crucified. But Jesus said, The hour has come when the Son of Man should be glorified. And immediately the heavens opened And the voice of the Father was heard again. This is my beloved Son. Do you know what our Lord Jesus was doing? He was doing the will of the Father. Lord, it is written of me in the volume of the book, I come to do thy will, O my God. And I ask of you this evening, as you look at your Christian life, can you say that you are living for the will of God? Would you be prepared to surrender whatever your future? doesn't mean you've got to be a missionary. You don't have to be a, a missionary. God may have you to be a housewife. God may have you to be a, a plumber. I don't know. The important thing is God knows. Strive for the will of God. If you look at the verse again, it is not only strive, study, to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. It is not only striving to be accountable to God, to be. What is the word that it used to be approved of God? A good question at the end of a day, a good question at the beginning of a week. Is the Father, does the Father approve? That's the thing that should govern our lives. Where we go, what we do. Is the Father, does he approve of this? Does it please God? Remember Enoch? The man who walked with God because he pleased God. However, let us go to strive as a workman that needs not to be... a ashamed. It's very interesting, when our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 looked on the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. And he said those words, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers, the laborers are few. My friend, can I say tonight God is looking for workmen and workwomen in the big harvest field. Remember, the most important thing God is doing in the world today is building his church, bringing in the redeemed. And oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if amongst this company their some would have a part in that great work? The Apostle Paul, as I've already said, writing to the Romans, Romans chapter 15, he said, "'Yea, so do I strive to preach the gospel. Why did he strive to preach the gospel? Well, he says in chapter 1 of Romans, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. He felt it was his debt. As a matter of fact, right into the Romans, he said, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. In the Roman emperor, my friend, the status of, of authority started with the emperor. From the emperor to the senators, the senators to the governors, the governors to the captains, the captains to the centurions, and then down to the soldiers. Guess who was the lowest strata of society? Slaves. Servants. And Paul said, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ, a servant of Jesus Christ. Why did he say that? It takes us back to Exodus chapter 21, the laws of a bondservant. A bondservant is one who's been purchased by his master, serves his master for seven years, and after seven years, he has the liberty to go free, walk away, but as a bondslave, he says, no, I I love my master. I love this family. I will not go out free. The master took him to a door and put an awl through his ear, and for the rest of his life he bore that mark to indicate that he was a slave to his master. Paul said, "That's me. I am a debtor." Someone has written a little limerick that says, "I cannot work my soul to save for that my Lord has done, but I will work like any slave." for love of God's dear son. Young Christian here this evening, I'm asking you this question. Are you involved in the work of God? Are you involved in the membership of your local church? The Bible reminds us in Hebrews chapter 12, that uh, sorry, yeah, Hebrews chapter 13. We are to remember those who have the rule over us. If you're a Christian, you're part of the body of Christ. And for those to have the rule over you, you've got to belong to that church. You need commitment to belong to the church. You need involvement to be part of the church. Says the apostle Paul, I am a debtor. The apostle Paul, my friend, traveled to take the message of the gospel all across the Roman Empire, and in every major city, he planted the banner of the cross. And when we read these letters of Paul, he was writing to missionary churches, missionary letters, and the churches that he had planted. What about it in your Christian life? <laughs> I remember when I was a Christian, excuse the personal testimony, but As a postman, one day I I went to deliver a meal in Omeath Street on the Woodstock Road nearby. Back in those days, every house had net curtains and a big brass pot, a pot rather, with a plant in it. Except when I came to one particular house, there were no curtains, no no brass pots or plants, but rather there were gospel texts, for God so loved the world. Uh, The sermons of Charles Finney, the sermons of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, When I knocked the door, the man who opened the door had the brightest, broadest smile I ever saw in my life. His name was Ernie Allen. Ernie Allen founded the Revival Center. And back at that particular time, 1959, 1960, when I met him, he was starting what is known today as the Every Home Crusade. And he got me, we belonged to Dunmurray Free Presbyterian Church. He gave me a case full of literature to do every home in Dunmurray, door to door, all around. God was to lead us to foreign fields, but in those days, God taught us we've got to sow the seed where we are. Strive to find approval in the will of God. Strive to find involvement In the work of God. A good thing, as I've said at the end of a day or the end of a week, to say, was the Father well pleased? A good thing at the end of a day to ask, Was the work well done? The work well done. And then the Apostle Paul he writes to young Timothy. And he says these words, A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Strive to be approved of the will of God. Strive to be involved in the work of God. My friends, strive to understand and know the word of God, the word of God. It's very interesting in the end of this chapter, the beginning of the next chapter, how Paul reminds us of the Word of God. Look, if you would at verse 15 and see the influence of the Word of God. The influence of the Word of God says in verse 15 of this same chapter that from a holy child, uh, sorry, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise on to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus, the influence of the Word of God. I don't know if I'm speaking to Sunday school teachers here this evening, but if you're a Sunday school teacher, God bless you. I remember I went to Sunday school on the Donegal Road, Richfield Presbyterian Church, and we had a Sunday school teacher, Billy Hamilton. Billy could never have stood on a public platform to speak to a group of people like this. But Billy had five, six fellows in his class, and every week he taught us the Scriptures. The night I was converted, I was converted under Dr. Paisley's ministry down at the Old Free Presbyterian Church. But when Dr. Paisley preached the gospel, what came flooding back into my mind was everything that the Sunday school teacher had taught me, that I was a sinner, that I needed to be saved that if I didn't be saved, I, would, I was on my way to a lost eternity, to hell. And I thank God for that Sunday school teacher who taught me the simple truths of the gospel until that night I trusted Christ. I said there were five or six people in this class. Of those five, six people, John McCoy was in our class. He went to Ethiopia as a Brethren missionary. Trevor Coburn was in our class. He became a Presbyterian minister. Joe McCartney was in our class, or Morris Sloan was in our class. He became a missionary in Brazil. I was in the class. My friend, we've been now in Christian work for 63 years, and all because of a Sunday school teacher who taught us the Word of God. Isn't that amazing? That is why I say to you, our Sunday school teachers, keep teaching. The husbandman, we read, the farmer, he, he, he doesn't reap when he sows, but he will reap. Listen to what, to what the promise says. He that goes forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, precious seed, shall doubtless. You see that word, doubtless? That's the promise. He shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. My friend, the influence of the Word of God in young and tender hearts. The influence. Look at the next verse that gives to us a statement about the inspiration, not just the influence, but the inspiration of Holy Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does that mean? It means all of the Bible. I I guess just about all of us have got favorite chapters in the Bible. Does anybody here have a favorite chapter in only one chapter, in Obadiah? I, I don't think anybody looks at Obadiah as a favorite book. But it's no less inspired than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's all Scripture. When it says here, all Scripture is given by inspiration, the word inspiration means <sighs> the breath of God. <sighs> the breath of God. My friend, I find out. I was saying this this morning when I was preaching. Isn't it amazing we have a Bible? I mean, after more than 2,000 years, we still have the Word of God in our hand. As Christians, where would we be without the Bible? Would we be depending on philosophies and education? No. It's the Word of God. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from where? The mouth of God. Do you know what that means? It means that when you open your Bible, God opens his mouth to speak to you. That's why as Christians... We need to have a passion for the Word of God. And this Bible tells me that we are not only to read the Word, blessed is he that reads the Word of this prophecy, it says in the book of the Revelation, but we've got to store the Word of God up in our hearts and minds. Book of Colossians chapter 3 says, Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Therefore, it's a good thing to memorize, The Word of God. When I was a younger person in my teens and 20s, I I memorized the Word of God. And then when we went to Brazil and learned Portuguese, we had to memorize so much of the Scriptures in Portuguese. And you know something? You could do it if you put your mind to it. Memorize the Bible. Your mind is like a library. And what you store up in that library, my friend, when you need it, it will come to thought. When our Lord Jesus was tempted, it was as he was taken from the memory of his mind. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, and the Lord Jesus answers Satan every time with the Word of God. The influence of God's Word, we learn it as children, the inspiration of God's Word. Now look at chapter 4 and verse 2. Preach the Word. Preach the Word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and doctrine. Oh, my friend, we have no other message for the world. We don't go across the street or across the world to tell them about our denomination. We go to tell them about Jesus, the Word of God, the Word of God. And you know something? We have seen this Bible do wondrous works on its own, I have a friend in Brazil, I was speaking to him just a short while ago, Raimundo Lobato. Raimundo Lobato lived away in the forest uh, on the river Cunhawa. Mysteries had seldom ever gone to the Cunhawa. they They'd never gone in the time of Raimundo Lobato. But Raimundo lived away deep in the forest. And one day, he and his 18-year-old friend, Heimondo was about 18 at that time, the two of them went out hunting. There are no shops to go shopping in. When you live in the jungle, you've got to go not buy your food. You've got to hunt for your food. And so they went hunting, and they were about two days out hunting when suddenly his friend dropped dead. Heimondo didn't know what to do he, he was far from home, and his friend dead. He took his hammock and wrapped his friend into this hammock and with the ore that he had, he dug a shallow grave and put the friend into the grave and then covered it over with with earth and leaves. But he was so impacted, where is he? What happened to him? Uh, What if that was me? What would happen to me? He walked two days back to what we call the Kolagasung, place that he lived in the forest, a small gathering of houses. I had an uncle there, and he spoke to the uncle about how his friend had died. And and where is he? What happens to us after we die? His friend said, I I have a little portion of the Bible here, a few pages from Luke's gospel. And he gave it to Hymon. And Hymon with his finger began to read, read the scriptures. And as he read the Scriptures, his uncle said to him, get your shortwave radio and listen in to the voice of the Andes. And Haimondo, through the Word of God, through Luke's gospel, in the heart of the jungle, he'd never been to a meeting, he'd never met a missionary, but Haimondo trusted Christ the Savior. Every evening at six o'clock, the people in the forest, they have what they call the novena, and uh, they'd lift up a little cross at six o'clock every night and go over the, the prayers to the saints, etc. But Raimundo, he decided, he went and he lifted up a little cross and he read to them from Luke's Gospel, and told them how he'd been converted. Listen, within three months, forty of the people were converted. They'd never been to a meeting. They'd never met a missionary. But here this new convert lifting up the Bible at six o'clock every night and read to them the Scriptures. One day, Haimondo understood that he needed to be baptized, so he left that jungle home, and he walked for three days to get to the town of Labria. And in Labria, there he met our missionaries, and they baptized him. And James Gunning financed them to go to Bible college. And Haimondo's been a pastor now for more than 50 years, all because... Of the Word. Our time is far gone. I want to thank you tonight for your patience and listening to me. But can I say, my friend, in your life, have a passion. A passion for the will of God, the work of God, and the Word of God. Heavenly Father, bless Thy Word to every heart we pray and help us so to live and walk that we may please Thee. In Christ's name. Amen.